Well, guys, I'm so excited to be here. If, if you've been journeying with us, we've been working our way recently through the book of Philippians. If you don't know that, it's just a letter written to a bunch of church folk, right? But we're going to take a break today because what we're really going to focus on is everything Kim shared in the announcements. The big serve. What, what's the heart for it? What, what is its biblical intent? And why do we do it? This has been a sermon, a Sunday morning, a setup into a ministry that I have literally been looking forward to since I had the privilege of coming here exactly two years ago. Two years ago was my first Sunday and I can remember sitting there and thinking it was a very different environment, sitting there and thinking, hey God, would you continue to use these people in a mighty way? And guys, with full sincerity, not because of anything good in us, but everything that God has in his word, we are going to see that way today. And then what we're gonna do is we're gonna spend time talking about strategically, how do, are we as a local body going to get after it? One of the things I wanna start with though was the story that kind of sets it up and makes me remember it. When I was in college, so I grew up in North Georgia. I went to college in Atlanta. The college that I went to had a bunch of folks from the Northeast and a bunch of folks from the West Coast. So what that meant was there was this sport that people really talked about, that I had all these friends that played on the club team, that they were really into. It was literally our whole school, we were D3, so it wasn't impressive at all. But like our whole homecoming weekend, we went and we watched the club team of this sport because this was like the one sport that the school got behind. Lacrosse? Anybody play lacrosse in here? All right, like three people. Everyone else is like hashtag Friday Night Lights. If you haven't seen that, do not get a Netflix subscription. There will go like 40 hours of your life. But no, it was one of those where lacrosse was this popular sport. There was this girl. I lived in one dorm. She lived in the dorm right across. This cute girl. I was trying to kind of get to know her, all that kind of stuff. And she played lacrosse. She had an extra lacrosse stick. And she's like, oh, do you play lacrosse? The answer to that question when you're trying to get to know somebody is always, oh, yeah, I do. Yeah. You just chuck a ball back and forth with a little basket or a net. I'd never played in my life. But I would sit out here and I'd throw back and forth with her as I'm trying to flirt, running game. Fast forward, like six months later, she totally shot me down. It did not work out. But all I'll just say is I'm still playing lacrosse, throwing it back and forth. And she starts to talk me into, hey, why don't you go out for the club lacrosse team? Like, why don't you go try out for it? Give you a fun thing to do. You get to be a part of a team. Always enjoyed athletics. Enjoyed being a part of something like that. So I can remember this broke college student going to play it against sports. Y'all know play it against sports? Right? Use sporting goods store. And man, I bought this polished navy blue lacrosse helmet. I bought these shoulder pads that looked like I was like a linebacker, but they were a little smaller. Right? These shoulder pads you're supposed to wear. I bought the lacrosse stick, this massive weighty rubber ball. I got a whole new pair of cleats for it. Like I got these navy trousers with this gray shirt that was kind of fitted. I was skinnier then. This kind of fitted shirt, right, that I could put on this thing. And I can remember going to club lacrosse tryouts. Because you show up, like I have the whole gear, I'm there. And honestly, guys, I totally looked like I knew what I was doing. Totally. Like I can remember like right before you go to warm up, you're all across, spread across this line and spread out coaches there. I absolutely blended in with every person that like grew up in Boston playing lacrosse from like age five. Like they couldn't really even fully tell the difference. And I'm totally fitting in up until we had to actually play lacrosse. Right? Like we have these moments where we're supposed to play lacrosse and I'm on defense, but there's these lines you're not supposed to cross. I kept breaking that rule. There's times when you can hit the stick. There's times when you can't hit the stick. There's times when you can check. 
you have to like pass to certain people and you can throw behind. I had no idea what I was doing. Like I had the appearance of, man, I'm getting after it. Like stud athlete, future MVP. Let's just give him the title. Like I had the full show, but I had no idea how to actually do it. Like I had no idea how to actually play. And the difference was when it came to actually doing something, the reason I think about that is what was true of me then, I had the appearance of it, but I didn't have the substance, like the ability, the work, the effort, the follow through. I had the appearance of it, but not the substance. Like the reason I start with that is today where we're going to be and we're going to jump into a chapter in the book of Isaiah. We're going to look at what happens to followers of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at when God's people have the appearance of faithfulness. Like, man, we like blend in with the line. We look like everybody else. All of a sudden people want to come and like pat you on the back and you get your emotional attaboys. We have the appearance of godliness, the appearance of faithfulness. But we don't have its substance, like the real soul of it, the part where we literally, like that cliche term, we practice what we preach. Like we follow through and we serve sacrificially, we give sacrificially, we lay down our life for others. Why? Because the king in heaven laid his life down for us. What I want to talk about today is how our faithfulness, it can never be in just appearance, how our faithfulness must also be in substance. The reason why we're talking about this on on Big Serve Sunday, the week before we go and we do this event, is because that is what this event, it's meant to do. It's meant to catalyze, mobilize a local body just like this. And, and, And even if this isn't your church home, like you're just checking it out or you're here in town for the holiday and you're gonna go back home. If you're a follower of Christ, you are meant to live this way wherever it is. But it's meant to act as this launching pad for Christians to serve and engage the community, not just in appearance, but in substance. You know what substance serving looks like? It's often thankless. It's often the only one who ever sees it as God. It's often emotionally exhausting, resource depleting, Time taking, it's sacrificial and it's glorious. And that's what we want to talk about. The reason why I also get so excited about this is there's another church here in town who's preaching from the same text. My buddy Mick over at Church of Christ, New Braunfels Church of Christ, preaching from the same text to share with his body the same heart. We must be the church. You can't appear and attend a Sunday morning gathering and come and check the box and say, I've done my Christian good deed. Now all I need to do is try to not watch rated R movies and not cuss Monday through Saturday. That is not Christianity. Christianity is the realization that God in heaven loves every single person, but we choose to go our own way. We rebel against him. And instead of kicking us to the curb and separating us from him, from God for eternity, He sent his son to die for you. He sent his son to die for me. Every bit of my sin, every bit of my tendency to have just the appearance, never the substance, just the show. And we, church, 
why this matters so much. God is looking to use his people to change communities. God is absolutely looking to transform New Braunfels, Shirts, San Marcos, the other town that I'm forgetting, Seguin, Spring Valley, whatever other towns are around here. He's absolutely looking to change those communities, to be a sincere city on a hill, not in appearance, but in holiness. And you know how he wants to do that? You know what his plan A is? It's you. It's me. One of the greatest testimonies of the church is is not the option to come and just gather on a Sunday. God uses that. You remember and you remind, but it's to come and take from a gathering and send people to change. Anybody enjoy the start of college football this week? Right? Okay, great. Right? Imagine, and I'm just going to use a silly illustration, and you'll get this in a second. Imagine you're watching a football game, and the folks go, and there's this huddle. They come, and they devise. They get a plan. They remind themselves, okay, here's what we need to do. Here's where we're going to go. All right, you guys ready? Yep, break. But as soon as they do this, they just stay in the huddle. They don't take what was this internal plan, this internal goal, this internal mission, and turn it externally to actually do something with it. That'd be ridiculous. That is what a group of Christians who gather on Sunday, but who do nothing to affect their community for the glory of God, are like. Did y'all hear that? We will become ineffective and unfruitful if we drift towards that church. We are the big serve. Christ died to be the biggest serve. And it's from that. That's why we live it. Not in appearance, but in substance. So guys, where are we going to be? We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 58. We're going to read through quite a chunk of Bible. (laughs) We're going to read through quite a chunk of Bible. We're going to look at verses 3 through 12. One of the things that's going to be true is we're going to try our best to pull out the essentials from this text. This the primary theme. But I have to tell you, as a guy who loves teaching the Bible, we're going to leave plenty for you guys to go back and read on your own and study this week. But we're going to pull that primary arching theme right throughout that to really teach to this the reality of may we never serve in appearance. May we always serve in substance. So the first thing we'll look at is what's the appearance of faithfulness? What's God feeling towards it? The second thing we're going to look at is what is the substance of faithfulness? What is he really after? And then the final thing, and this is why I get so excited today, it's going to be a little different of a Sunday morning. We're going to switch gears towards the end, and I'm going to roll out, I'm going to share with you that we're launching a new ministry here at the Springs. It's been one of the things I've been looking forward to the most since we've come. There's been tremendous leadership from our body to even make this happen. People come who've raised their hands and say, I will lead the charge. Let me help mobilize this church. Because one of the things that's true is we as a local body, we can't do everything to serve the community. If you try to do everything, we all know you effectively accomplish nothing. But we must lead We must serve in some things. So that's what we're going to talk about. The the kind of final third, we're going to switch gears. And I'm going to share with you guys that we're rolling out what we're going to call our external focus ministry. So the first two-thirds, it's a bit of a sermon. The final third, it's more of an update for the folks who want to call this their church. 
And for the folks who want to think through, how do we do this and pray and be a part of what God wants to do? So that's where we're headed, guys. So if you have a Bible, you can start turning to Isaiah 58. I'm going to set it up just a little bit to give us some some context. Isaiah was a prophet sent from God to the people here. He's writing to this tribe of Israel named Judah. Judah had been one of the more faithful tribes, but they'd been dishonoring to God. They'd neglected God. They had forgotten God. And God loves them so much. What happens when we do that is God comes and allows us to feel the weight of our decisions. When you and I don't want to walk in obedience to God, he won't force himself on us. He'll say, okay, I'll let you feel the weight that you might come back and I can restore you. And that's generally feeling the weight of their sin, being restored from their sin. That's an outline for this book, right? And where we are in in Isaiah 58 is it's going to zoom in on one specific topic. It's going to talk about fasting. Fasting, for those of you that know, it's where you restrain yourself from food. For the purposes of using food is a catalyst reminder. Like every time your stomach turns to remind yourself, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. It's to deepen the fellowship with God. It's meant to have a heart that reflects on holiness and seeks to grow in holiness. But these people, right, as God writes this through Isaiah, fasting has become this go through the motions this religious routine. Do it because they're supposed to. They're, they're treating it almost like this genie in a bottle. Like, hey God, if I do this, that means that you're gonna give me what I want. You're gonna answer my questions. You're gonna come and give me what I want all the while as they go through these religious actions, these religious routines. Their hearts are far from God. God wants to capture your heart and he wants to capture mine. And that's what he's gonna write them to. So if you have a Bible, read with me. I'm going to read verses 3 through 5. This is going to start out with the people of Judah asking God a question. And then it's going to switch to God giving them an answer. This is the people of Judah. Why why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? This is them coming before God and saying, God, we've been doing these religious things. We've been acting and fasting. We've been taking these steps. Why aren't you honoring it? Where's the blessing? Where's the power and the presence of God? Where's the influence? Where's the health? Where's the healing? And God's going to answer him. He says, behold, in the day of your, it's almost like God through Isaiah would put this in quotes. In the day of your fast, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. You're using it for selfishness. You oppress your workers like reflection with God is meant to bring about service to other people, not injustice. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice heard on high. And then you see Isaiah, like his personality comes out in verse five. Like he starts to use sarcasm here. And he says, is such a fast that I should choose, like God writing through him. A day for a person to humble himself, to bow his head down like a reed, and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him. Will you call this a fast? A day that is acceptable to the Lord. God's not going to honor this fast. These religious efforts, it's religious routine. Why? It's the appearance of faithfulness. 
It's not actual faithfulness. It's the appearance of it. Do you ever find yourself like going through the motions? Or do you ever find yourself wanting people to notice your Christian good deeds? Do you ever find yourself like, like, oh man, if this happens to you, right? We do a bunch of community groups here at the Springs. One of the things community groups always do is they tend to like pick a book or they go through a curriculum. And I'm the guy who's always sitting there. I'm like, oh man, that sounds great. Let's do that, right? And then I'm the guy who like in the driveway right before in skimming and cramming the whole chapter that I totally forgot I was supposed to read before I go and I walk into the house and then I try to attempt to have an educated conversation on something that I didn't really read. Anybody else ever done that? Okay, we got some sinners. Welcome, y'all. Welcome. In those moments, I inherently am valuing more what they think or the moment of it or the appearance of it than I am what that book said. Now, guys, I don't care that much about if you read it or not. But imagine if that philosophy, if that approach to God is pulled out over time. What happens? Our generosity, we're sitting there and we're hoping somebody else sees us and notices how generous we are. Our acts of service, we're hoping that really somebody can kind of notice and if we're really fortunate, they can like snap a photo and tell somebody else about it. To where all of a sudden these acts from a heart of service, we use them to serve us. We all have this tendency to drift towards a faithfulness that's not in substance, but it's in appearance. It's like a show to where we go through these religious routines, not with a pleading heart that says, God, would you help me to love you more? Did you know I found this out that the the hashtag on Instagram for Bible study has 1.8 million Posts. If you don't know what Instagram is, it's social media. There are a couple of people who looked at me like, what? Right? It's social media. 1.8 million posts. I, I flipped through it. Go check it out sometime. Right? There's some nice quotes. It's a bunch of folks with like this beautiful landscape laid out. Their Bible and half of them are artists and draw pretty pictures. There's like this beautiful mug of coffee with like latte art going through it. And like four pens as they show that they draw straighter lines than me in their Bible. Does that make sense? Right? As I say that, a couple of y'all are kind of squirming because you're like, I've done those posts. Right? Here's what I love. Love your Bible, draw on it, whatever creative way you want to connect with it. But imagine if we became the people who that was our real intake of Bible. The people who come and in appearance try to create something beautiful to manicure it, to add a filter to the world when in reality, there's no pleading heart that says, God, will you help me to know you through your word? Would you you sincerely change me? I'm prone to leave you. Would you draw me back? Imagine if the reasons that we went to serve in the community was so we could finally get on a board. And then once we got on a board, we could tell people we were on a board. That is not the substance of faithfulness. It's the appearance. God loves us too much to bless the appearance of faithfulness. He won't do it. He won't do it at this church. He won't do it across the church community in New Braunfels, the broader area of Colmau County. He won't do that for the church in America or the world. See also why we've lost much of the influence that the local church once had. We became more show than substance and God loves us too much to confuse a non-believing world by blessing that.
So what does he bless, guys? What does he bless? And this is where we pick up the text, right? Jump back in with me. We're, we're going to read 6 through 12. As you read 6 through 12, I want you to track. There's going to be a couple themes. You're, you're going to hear is, and then the word then. Anybody here enjoy logic or spend time in Excel? Okay, just me, right? There's these things called if-then statements. If this is true, then thus must be true. That's absolutely about what you're going to see through your Bible. It's going to say, if the people of God do this, then God will do this. If the people of God do this, then God will do this. That's going to be the theme that we follow through. So read with me as as I just track through 6 through 12. And this is a sincere answer. God's just said, this is not the fast. This is not the form of faithfulness that I will bless. This is the fast that I choose. Is not this the fast that I choose, verse 6, to loose the bonds of wickedness and undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house? So y'all know, I looked it up in the Hebrew, what Isaiah means by bring the homeless poor into your house. He means bring the homeless poor into your house your house. I know it's technical. It's really tricky. I just wanted you guys to know he's crazy. Like this is where you do this in church. It's radical or it's really, really faithful. Are there wise ways to do these things? Yes. But man, I'm telling you, when the church steps outside a comfort zone to serve and to love those in need, God changes lives. You bring the homeless poor into your house. When you see the naked to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then, before was the if, this is the first then, then shall your light break forth from the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. Insert the next if. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing out of your finger and the spreading of wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. The Lord will be your guide continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places. Make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Your ancient ruin shall be rebuilt You shall rise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. What we just saw was before. God, show us the brokenness of what happens when you and I just make a show. When our faith becomes a check the box, a show. When we're not marked by sincere sacrifice, but it's superficial service the appearance of faithfulness. And then he came and he just came through through these six verses and he shared, no, here's what the substance of it is. And there's two things that you need to know. The first is I'm gonna talk about what he says, if you do this, and guys, here's the reality. If we do this, God will continue to bring healing and change through us. But if we sit on the sidelines, he will not allow us to reap the fruits of the game. There's three categories of things that he says, if. The first one's verse six. Verse six, if you got it, jump back there with me. Is not this the fast that I choose? 
to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. The first thing we have to do is meet the spiritual needs of the community around us. The first focus that he has for us right here through Isaiah is the spiritual needs. That we come and you loosen the restraint of wickedness. What is wickedness, man? It is sin. Whether you know this and acknowledge this or not, you have the same tendency that my heart has to say, I don't need God. I'm fine on my own. That my ways, in fact, are better. I don't know if he's fully for me or if I can trust him. It happens in our hearts. You know where else that happens? In the hearts of the community. You come and you break the chains of sin where you come to every person and their felt core need, always to the core, is to either know the love of Jesus Christ, the one who, hey, you don't have to try harder. You don't have to be a different version. I'll take you just as you are. And by my power, I won't leave you there. We have to go. That, that's why this ministry that we're gonna launch today, we're calling it external focus. A lot of times when you go to local places or, or local churches, and I don't even mean this disparagingly, they call it a missions department. There's a missions department, a missions budget, a missions pastor. We will never have any of that here. Because if you are a follower of Christ, you are a missionary, you are a sent out one, you are a minister of reconciliation. God wants to make his appeal to broken marriages, to children who have been forcefully removed by members of the state from their parents due to abuse or neglect. He wants to make his appeal to both the child and the parent through you. Through folks who don't know where their next meal is coming from, who don't know what shelter looks like, who have been so generationally built into a series of dysfunction that there's nothing that will change it apart from the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit in their life. And God does it, but he wants to use us. The first way there's substance is we must address the spiritual need. The second is people really do need practical needs. They really do need practical help. And, th and that's verse seven. Verse seven, is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him? and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. I love this because there's, there's an absolute truth, right? One of the things that happens is there are very thoughtful and strategic ways to care for people in hurting positions. Not all forms of charity, outreach, engagement, not all forms of that are created equal. You can absolutely intend to hurt someone and further enable, foster a cycle of sin, and leave them in their own brokenness. That's true. But man, what I'm telling you is there's an also a true reality. If you wanna change the soul, fill the belly. If you wanna have a conversation about long-term health and dysfunction of a family and how Jesus Christ is the solution, don't let them be in survival mode to where they know they can sleep that night. You wanna come and tell a child about the love and the grace of Jesus Christ that exists for him. You help him see his parents change. How do you do that? Give them a place where they can actually learn how to work through conflict in a functional way, not in the dysfunction that's destroyed it. You wanna help people who currently sit in a brokenness of feeling like if they talked about mental health issues, they'd never really be able to share with anybody? You help them see, no, there's absolutely a way we can come and care for you and talk about that in a real way. Do you see what I'm saying? We must meet practical 
needs? Does God want to address the root, the soul, absolutely? But man, does he often do that by encouraging us to, man, hey, start, start with a meal. Like the next person you see on the corner, like look at them, engage them in the eyes, smile. Here's literally language. I use this all the time. I roll down the window and I reach over. If they're here, I always say, come, I can help you be a part of communities and environments. If they're in other cities, I say, hey, I wish I knew. I imagine that there are, but I say, hey, I don't feel comfortable giving you any money. But I have some free time. I'd love to go take you over there and grab a meal. Do you want to go? My hope is to help you get connected to here and here. A lot of times when you talk to people, they, they actually don't want your help. They want help on their terms. But guys, far too many people who love Jesus Christ drive past the person in need and don't even acknowledge their humanity. There is no way Jesus Christ would ever do that to you or to me. There's no way. That doesn't mean you can stop for everybody, but we, be, we must be people who stop Substance, we address spiritual needs, we address practical needs. Then what happens? And, and this is verses eight and nine. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. For those of you that know like Old Testament history, this is basically a reference to when Israel was walking by, by fire by night and by cloud by day. That's what he's talking. It's like the protection of God. The first half of verse nine. Then you shall call, the Lord will answer, and you shall cry, and he will say, here I am. There's three things that come out. There's three ways that God wants to bring his power, his support, and his blessing to his people when they walk in accordance with his ways. We don't do this to earn eternity. We don't do this to earn God's love. There's nothing you can ever do to make God love you more or to make him love you less. But because we know the love of the Father, because we know we didn't deserve any of this and he lavished kindness on us, because we know we have eternity with him, we do this. And what is the then that God promises? Three things. Influence, Healing and intimacy. Influence, healing, and intimacy. That's the first start from eight through the first half of nine. Influence is your light shall go forth. The people of God have always been meant to shine bright in the midst of darkness. What's one of the ways we do that? In Jesus' first public sermon, he says, let your works be shown to others that they might see through them to the glory of God. When the church is actually the church, sacrificial, giving, we're the volunteers who show up weekly. We are the consistent ones, the ones who give too much. There's a blessing on that. The second thing that happens is there's healing. I love that. There's literally this healing and turning like your righteousness goes before you and there's this protection from God. It rises up speedily. One of the things that's true is a lot of times people, and this can happen to me, in brokenness and in sin, in dysfunction, what happens is we tend to take our gaze and turn it internally. We reflect on everything that's wrong, everything we want to change, internal problems with us. Serving others brings healing in. It opens an external mindset to care and to love others. To say it differently, it helps you stop thinking about yourself. 
it gives me a sense of a, a pers- perspective. Because, man, I can get in my own head. And the final thing, I love this. God doesn't just hear your prayers. But he says, here I am. There's an intimacy that comes with God Almighty and faithfulness. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Like for many years of my life, actually, once I became a Christian, I had the privilege of having the opportunity to serve in some of my closest moments of engagement, closest moments of connecting with God, closest moments of feeling like this is why I was put on the earth. This is my meaning. This is my mission. This is my purpose. Was when I finally forgot myself and I fought to just be faithful. And there was substance because he gave it as a gift, not because I finally worked it up inside me. Guys, we can't have the appearance We must have substance. 2 Chronicles 16.9, it's a very famous passage. What's amazing here is it speaks to this theme, and I'm going to read this for us. It speaks to this theme of God. He's looking for his faithful, because in his faithful, he will support them. The context of this verse, because nobody ever shares the context of it, it's literally, there's the people of God who've chosen to go their own way. They say, hey, God, I don't fully need you. They go from appearance, or excuse me, from substance to appearance. And then they come back and they say, God, where has been your favor? Where has been your support? Where has been your care? And God loves us too much to bring blessing to my dysfunction. Why? He wants me to turn from that and come to the one who can actually bring the blessing. The famous passage, for the eyes of the Lord, they go to and fro, searching throughout the earth for those whose hearts were fully his. Why? That he might strongly support them. Like, do you know God in heaven? This is such another, I wish we had more time. I'm gonna have to cut this text short. Do you know God in heaven He wants to help you. Like he wants to bring blessing. He's a good father who wants good things for you. For the longest time, I felt like, even as a Christian, there was this mentality with God where God was kind of like, yeah, I've changed you. I've made you a child. Now, get after it, man. No more excuses. And it kind of felt like I was on my own to figure it out. Versus, and I can remember where this really started to change was my daughter when she first started walking. Right, like her first couple steps, you like stand beside, remember what I'm talking about? Because she's going to fall. No, she's pretty close to the ground. But she's still going to fall. So as a parent, you're like there ready to catch her. I wanted to help her at every step. Your Bible is full of the reality that God in heaven wants to help. He wants to bless. And what does he bless? When yes, we address the spiritual, but church, when we are a people who meet the practical, I know as you say this, many times folks are like, man, if you just knew my calendar, my schedule, you'd know that there's no way. Dude, I'm telling you, you can use your schedule, you can use your calendar, you can use your busyness, and here's what you'll miss out on, the privilege and the blessing of being used by God to change a community, to grow an awareness of his love, to allow that opportunity to help you examine the brokenness in your own life, to discover what your gifts and your talents are, to find ways to use them, to when you go to use them, there's like this greater sense of joy and you see meaning and purpose where for the longest time you've just been stuck to yourself hoping 
life would just get better. This is the better way. Guys, if we were to continue on and read 9, the second half of 9, all the way through 12, here's what you'd find. The next thing that happens, it's going to literally talk about pouring one's life out for the hungry. It's literally say to pour out one's soul. It's then going to say to satisfy the desires of the afflicted. It's talking about relational life-on-life ministry. The way that we change a community is, yes, there's financial stewardship. Yes, there's resources. Yes, there's one-time events. Yes, all that is true. But man, we change a community. We change the heartbeat of this local church. When we go and find people who at the beginning, they make us uncomfortable because we don't know how to engage with them. We don't quite know what to say. We don't quite know what to avoid. We don't quite know what to bring up. And by the grace of God, with full humility and courage, we lean through it. We find a way to ask the person who's just transitioned out of prison, hey man, tell me your story. Knowing they gotta talk about prison. We find a way to engage the homeless man or the homeless woman and say, hey, how long have you been on the streets? We find the foster child who has never known a functional or a faithful authority figure in their life apart from someone who is paid by the government to be there to show them. Authority doesn't have to hurt you. Authority doesn't have to leave you. And by the grace of God, you allow healing to take place. Life on life. And then it continues down 10 through 12 with this amazing chorus of blessing where God, he literally gives this word picture where it's like a garden and a fountain. There's this vitality, there's this health, there's this blessing, there's the, restore, the restoration of things in our life. Church, that is absolutely what he wants to do through us. Absolutely. He sent us here for this reason to be light in the midst of darkness, to go to places that other people won't go, to crawl under bridges, to knock on doors, to go to medical clinics, to have hard conversations with people who because of fear, a lack of awareness, and a misunderstanding of the life impact to them, who will come and say, hey, I need to terminate the life within me. He wants us to go and love on, extend grace, not remind shame, of the people who've chosen to make that decision, of the men who paid for it and pushed it, of the women who felt like they had no other option, and to remind them there's no scarlet letter on you. There's a God in heaven who loves you. He'll change you the way he changed us. He's good. There's a difference, y'all, between the appearance of faithfulness and the actual substance of faithfulness. And what's amazing, man, is people have been doing this here Like informally, people have been getting after this long before. There's a young man, he's 10, his name's Topher. He has such a heart to serve pregnant women and the opportunity that they have. There's this ministry we'll talk about in a second called, called Options. They're a pregnancy resource center here in town. He's 10. He took his money and he bought a banquet table and he's going to invite all his friends. I don't think they have all that money and they're trying to get money, but it's still really cute, right? All his friends and say, hey man, come. And at 10 years old, he's discipling himself to not do it in appearance, but in substance. There's an 11-year-old girl named Caroline who has this natural heart for ministry. And this summer, she put on a three-day camp for younger kids than her. The theme of the camp, the fruits of the spirit. 
Why? She wanted to instill in them a sincere love for God. One of her sisters, they were driving up here, and they changed some of the, the frontage signage out here on McKenna. And one of Caroline, her younger sisters, said to her, oh, I like the other pictures they put on our church. I want our old church back. And the sweet girl said, this is not, the church is not this facility. We are the church. What 11-year-old says that? Not me when I was 11, right? We, we have folks who've come, and there's a Section 8 low-income housing called Bavarian Manor. A friend of mine by the name of Alyssa, she's gone and created on Thursday afternoons for two years with the help of one person, completely thankless, apart from God Almighty has seen every single bit of it. And she's fought to create an after-school program on Thursday afternoons to love, support, to give kids refreshment from the reality of a broken home in a system that is legitimately hard to break. I'm not pleading with us to come and just give a bunch of handouts, but I'm telling you we are foolish and unbiblical if we don't think care comes with a hand up. Huge biblical difference. We have friends who serve in a ministry like CASA, where literally there's children, who the number one reason for this, actually, let me say this. Do you know 59% of kids whose CPS comes and removes from their parents, most often for drug use, but often for sexual abuse or abuse itself or neglect from their homes in Colmau County, 59% of kids have to leave the county because there's not enough foster families or respite care providers. So what that means is they've been torn from their family and then they have to go to a whole new school a whole new teacher, a whole new friend group, and they leave with just the clothes on their back. How many churches are in Comal County, y'all? I'm not saying we're not doing anything because the church has been faithful. I'm not throwing shade. I'm just saying we got to change it. Not appearance, but substance. So with my remaining 12 minutes, I want to tell y'all strategically how are we going to do that here at the Springs? Because here's what's true. People have been doing this informally, but what matters is, okay, how do we want to focus our body? Because remember at the beginning, you steward little well, more will be given. We don't want to be a mile wide. We want to be a mile deep. So how do we not try to boil the ocean and doing everything, but how do we come and say, God, where would you have us? What I want to share with you guys is just some, some content. It's, it's a slide deck that my friends put together. It, it essentially walks us from where we were and how we got here and what are the ministries we intentionally plan to partner with? And then, what's our next step? So the purpose of this is kind of switching gears out of Isaiah to come and say, hey, here's been the journey of how we've really tried to figure this out as a local church. Here's where we feel led, we feel called to go all in. And then here's the next steps. Does that make sense with y'all? Okay, switching gears, hard turn, insert, PowerPoint, presentation, all right? Now, one of the things as we do this is you guys will see up here, if you can't see this or anything, that's a link to a website. You can type that in right now. And we set up these slides if you want to follow along, right? And you'll pull it up right on your phone. If not, if you can see it well enough, go for it. You're welcome to follow along with the slides. The first thing I want to talk about, though, is where did we start down this journey? And I'm going to move, excuse me, fa fairly quickly through this. First thing I want to talk about is we, we spent a lot of time trying to find out what are the major needs in New Braunfels. Like, what are the major pain points? For me, that happened talking to elected officials, 
talking to the head of McKenna Foundation, a great outreach and foundational, excuse me, foundation here in the community, that their sole existence is to bring benefit and blessing. And then we talked to trusted members. Guys, here's what I found out, because these conversations happened for me. I'd been about six months here in New Braunfels. My first conversation was with someone, and basically they said New Braunfels really has no problems that we're crushing it, literally. There's multiple times I'm asking, hey, is there something we can do or what about this or what about that? And it was like I was talking to our PR department, right? That was my first. The next one I went and I had conversations with folks and essentially they came and said the exact opposite. Because what we did is we came, we presented everything from, okay, uh, life skills, job, prison transition, addiction and recovery, mental health, psychiatric care, which by the way, mental health is a major issue in Comal County. There's no place people can go to get care, right? Uh, education and reform, after school classes, transportation, public transportation in the state of Texas. If you can't get around, you can't get a job, you can't get to doctor's appointments. If CPS has separated you from a child, you can't get to court. Is transportation the issue? right? Pregnancy resources, foster and adopt, the whole spectrum, man, way more than what was on this slide. And we said, where's their major need? I'll never forget. The answer was everywhere. And then I remember saying, no, 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 I, I know we could always do better, right? And everything's on fire, but what is like a blazing fire? And the answer was two things. It is legitimately all a blazing fire and the fire is growing every day as the county grows with people moving. If there's one place that's a little less, they just built a, uh, the food pantry, but it's still tremendously under-resourced. And they just looked and they said, please just pick something. So what did we do from that? Once we went and found out what are the needs of the community, we said, okay, what is this church? What are the passions? If you were here in fall of last year, you probably took a survey there was a hundred of us. We took a survey and we saw two things. Where do you currently serve outside of the springs? Right? And then what do you want to see the springs do? Because we are a people. What would God have us do? And we began to see with this amazing focus, this shift towards one area, this gearing towards one place. We call that place a focus area. Right, so as we stopped and we looked at all these different, if you will, slices of the pie, areas of need, and then we examined, man, what's the major way that this body feels led to serve, wants to do something? We began to focus to the slice of the pie that I kind of put there, foster and adopt. Now here's what's true, you're gonna see. That, that immediately became this bigger thing of really not just foster and adopt, but vulnerable families at every stage. So once we began to have this potential, like maybe we focus there. Here's what myself and other leaders, Kim Francis was a tremendous blessing and benefit in this. We went and we met with a lot of ministries. And we started to have conversations about who might be a potential partner. We talked with them about, okay, what, what does it look like to support you guys? What, what would a local church be great at? What are other local churches that are already doing this that we can just go follow what they're already doing? There's this fundamental principle we'll have called follow the leader. We're not going to create things for the sake of creating. We want to follow those who've already created and are leading and are proven excellence to meet the need. Man, what's the vision? Is there an alignment? The impact potential, right? This is why I love this topic. There, there's a huge difference between relief and development. A huge difference between, at times, activity 
an impact. Activity is frenzied action where we do a lot of things but not real much of an impact. Activity is why uh, oftentimes nonprofits say, hey, we don't need you on Thanksgiving, but the middle of summer, we really need you. That's when nobody wants to go. Help us. What are the ways we can bring impact? The spiritual alignment. Like you'll see some of these partners that I'm just about to share, they're not all explicitly Christian. But will they let us with grace, with kindness, represent what is right and true before us? And when people come and they ask us or we initiate it, can we tell them where we think health comes from? Leadership alignment. Like does the leader of the organization, when they hear about it, do they get excited for the local church to be a part of it? And then discipleship opportunity. This is the part where I I love this. How does it develop us? Like, how does this body grow in growing in the discipleship of, hey, how do we have a very thoughtful, winsome, gracious conversation with someone who currently has planned to get an abortion? We need to be really good at that. We don't need to come and bring shame. We don't need to come and yell outside with picket fences, you're killing children. We need to come and say, there's a God in heaven who loves you. I can't imagine the situation you're in. Or for many of us, no, I've been in the situation you're in. There's a different way. Would you consider? Well, we need need to find ways to go and use our gifts to be disciple, to open God's word, to understand how do we come and care for the hungry without enabling sin, dysfunction, and laziness. We gotta grow that here, church. We gotta grow the willingness and the ability to when they come and people ask questions like was asked of my buddy when he took a medical discipleship trip down to Peru where he was sitting there doing medical missions with these folks and they said, why would you come and do this? That through a translator, through a translator, he got to share because of the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. We have to be experts at that. Why? We are on mission. Not appearance, but substance. So guys, what that means is we try to find out what are the needs. From the needs, we try to find out, okay, what, what's the desire of our body? From the desire of the body, we went and talked with, who could the potential leaders in this be? Had a lot of conversations. What I want to share with you next is, Here are the five strategic partnerships, the five ministries that we are going to link arms with and run after. First one, and imagine if if you're local, some of these will be familiar. Options or options for life. The next one, young lives. The next one, connections. Specifically, if you know connections well, that's connections TLP. One hope and then CASA. Let me explain a little about each one of these right? Options for Life, that is a pregnancy resource center that helps people, right? Everything from uh, STI screening and testing all the way to diapers and support to mentoring to discipleship. They are a Christ-centered ministry. You don't have to be a Christian to go there. It's been a ministry that has blessed this body where there's a woman today in our body who still now holds her child while she had a planned, scheduled ending of that life, but she went to hear a heartbeat. They wanna faithfully serve, they wanna support. What is that? It's more than foster and adopt, it's vulnerable families. Young lives, I'd never known much about young lives till I came here. It's a part of the parent young life. So young life, as you guys may know, it's an outreach ministry to students to reach them with the gospel in the world in which they live. 
Young Lives has been this branch that's come out of it as they continue to engage with teen moms. And Young Lives, it's explicitly a discipleship program, mentoring, caring for once a month, bringing together the celebration of these teen moms to remind them, you're not alone, we can help. Connections, this is a place where folks can come and find a safe, secure alternative to living on the streets, being homeless, or oftentimes abused or at risk. Specifically, locally, there's two branches. There's an emergency shelter of connections, and there's a place called TLP. It's a transitional living program. There's about 14, 15 to 21-year-olds there. They are the ones that the foster care system did not work for. There's nowhere else for them to go. That's their last home. One hope is this amazing, like gospel-centered foster care and adoption agency. It's this ministry that sets people up for success by coming and creating awareness of the need and then helping families who feel called by God to foster or to support in a thousand different ways families who felt called to foster to learn how to do that, to make that happen, to be a liaison to CPS. Because here's what happens. CPS calls their phone oftentimes 50 times a day. The average number of children that are removed by CPS in their home in the state of Texas is 50 in a day. And they call and they say, do you have a foster parent? Do you? Finally, CASA. CASA's the one right now, if you've seen it, they have this like legitimately tear-jerking commercial going around. It's a court-appointed special advocate. It's someone who, when CPS has removed a child from a parent, comes as an advocate for the child legal, with parental, with the court system, and helps them navigate and walk through to make sure the child's needs are being cared for, as well as how do we begin to honor the parents, especially those who by faith walk in repentance to restore the one that they love. This is vulnerable families, guys. This is not boiling the ocean. This is taking five places and saying, by the grace of God, we're not gonna commit to everything, but we are going to do something. I'm gonna quickly work through this next part. Options for life, this is just an overview of that ministry. All this stuff is online. Here's what you need to see. Here's our prayer. We wanna raise up just four client advocates. People who come and on a weekly basis, men and females who come and serve folks. We wanna support court-mandated parenting classes that they have there that are already overflowing. One of the things they do is they do an annual banquet here and we asked them, hey, how could we help? They just want us to serve their dinner for everyone who comes. You know what that means? Any of y'all ever a server, hostess, waiter, anything like that? Yeah, we need you. That's what I'm talking about. And finally, how do we host a bottle drive? Continuing on Young Lives. It's this beautiful thing where there's passionate people here in the body. We want to raise up three weekly mentors to support. We want to support a monthly gathering club. We want to provide meals, childcare. And the amazing part too Just remember these names. You see that tag before liaison leader right there? Julie Ernest, Catherine Blunzer. Just remember that. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Connections TLP. Here's our goal. We want to raise up three leaders to come and on a weekly consistent basis come break bread with a group of kids that are often forgotten that they have to manage their own budgets because it's all provided by the state so the way they ration food really matters throughout the week. Have dinner with them, engage with them, and just see what God does. Andy Easley, Josh Steen. Next one of One Hope, the Foster Care and Adoption Agency. Here's our prayer that we raise up one foster family from the Springs over the next year. 
and then we do everything we can to support that family. Because if you want to love, foster, and adopt, the whole, whole spectrum, the whole care, you don't just have to foster. There's so many other things. But some of us, y'all, were called to foster. So that's why we'll also host here community-wide informational meetings to raise awareness. Julie Couplin. Final one, CASA. We want to raise up and support two CASAs. Dude, I love this. It's like literally tip of the spear into darkness, man. Like Jesus Christ, he runs towards the flames. He wants to bring healing and health. Let me give you an overview. This is a new ministry we're starting here at the Springs. This is something new. It will not work if we do it in appearance and not substance. I'm telling you, if people come and they say, what's a differentiator of the Springs? Or why is it different? May it be said of us, they love people in word and in deed. We want to do that in two ways. There's local, right? And there's international. We as Christians, we are called to the nations. Some of us to go, all of us to pray, some of us to financially support and send. Coming soon, right? Coming soon. But local, there's these two branches. There's this first part, vulnerable families, where we are going to go all in over this next year and then hopefully for decades with options, all in with young lives, caring for teen moms that have been perhaps kicked out or in a foster care system or forgotten by others. We're going to go all in at Connections TLP. Those kids are no longer going to be considered the forgotten ones. Why? Because God has never forgotten a single kid that's walked through the doors of Connections. We're going all in with one hope. We're going all in with CASA. I hope you see there are goals too. We're not trying to bite off more than we can chew, but man, we want to be faithful with what God brings. The other things we're going to continue to care for, this annual event, the Big Serve, the unity of churches coming around, pastors linking arms, which so you know, it's not normative and God's doing it. We'll be all behind that. And then there's a coalition of how might we better serve. We really want to do something. Why? God has done this for us. Next steps, guys. I'm asking. A lot of times in the past, big serve, and I'm not saying this was ever you, people saw it as a Sunday to take off. People saw it as a chance of, okay, the church is going, we're not meeting, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to miss that. Hey, we have care for your zero to five-year-old kids. Six and up, Bring them with you. Let them see you. Disciple them in giving your life away. Instruct them in why we do this. I'm asking, if you go to the Springs, if you attend 100% participation, we are the big serve. The thing I want to remind you after that is after we'll go, we'll do a lunch at T-Bar-M, and then there's this ministry fair to follow. Go ask questions of these partners. Come ask questions of these people. And the final thing is the month of October through November, we're going to do a discipleship class here called When Helping Hurts. There are absolutely better ways to serve people than others. And we will disciple you in biblically how to do that really well. I love it too. There's going to be a community group that's going to lead it. It's going to be phenomenal. Bring your kids. We'll figure it out. We'll get you breakfast. We'll do whatever. Come. Here's why, guys. You remember what I shared, all those liaisons? Each one of those ministries, there's a lay leader here that has said, I will run through the wall for the sake of what God is doing there. We are raising up leaders to raise up people, to change a community, to change a town. I'm not going to all those. 
we have to go to all those. You don't have to pick every ministry, but where would God have you? Where would he lead you? Where will we become the consistent, faithful few? And let me end with this. As I reflected on this text, it started in verse six. What are we called to do? Meet spiritual needs, right? Combat the wickedness, let the oppressed go free, remove the yoke, the weight, the bondage. The reason we go and do this is because someone has done that for us. Like there is a God in heaven who sent his son to come and free me from my own wickedness. My tendency to sin and your tendency to sin. Your tendency to hear the fact that we're talking about service like this and kind of check out and cloak it with Christian busyness. Like my tendency to consistently want to put myself first. My sin. He came to remove the weight. Do you remember the things that restrained you that can still hold you back? And he came to set you free. Thank God Jesus Christ did not just love us in appearance. Thank God he loved us in substance. Guys, if we grasp this, if we really do it, it will change this body. It will change this community. I'm gonna pray quickly, but again, thank you all for hanging in there. A lot of content, but here's what matters most. May we be God's people. Don't lean out from this church. Lean in. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of this. I'd ask you to bless options. You'd bless connections. You would bless young lives. You would bless One Hope. You would bless Casa. You would bless every faithful and effective ministry. Would you strengthen us to find the right ways? Would you be now stirring in hearts of people to raise their hands to come? May we have more than enough for the commitments that we're making. God, we just wanna be your people. We wanna know your love and from that walk in a faithfulness, not the appearance of it, but real faithfulness. We love you. It's in your name. Amen. Hey, thank y'all for coming. I'll see y'all next week at Big Serve, those of you who are here, and y'all go. Have a great week of worship. Newcomers class and roommate for those who want to join.